Tonight's reading is in Mark chapter 4, 35 um, until chapter five, uh, 5, verse 43, and it can be found on page 1006. Jesus calms the storm. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious call came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how Jesus had done for him, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. 
He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone, gone out of him. Oh, sorry. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out of him, from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, come, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Elena. Take a minute and uh, talk to someone near you. Um, ask them this question, what are you afraid of? Might be a phobia, might be spiders, might be anything. One minute, talk to someone near you, what are you afraid of? Okay, let's bring it back together. There are some fears that are completely irrational. Um, I've written one down, which I'm going to try and say. Arachibutarophobia. And that is the fear of getting peanut butter stuck on the roof of your mouth. 
that has a name. Um, there's also another irrational one, uh, lachanophobia. That is the fear of vegetables, apparently. Um, there are some fears that are irrational. There are other fears that are completely rational. Some of you might have mentioned fear of sharks. Um, I think that's perfectly normal to be afraid of sharks. No problem with that whatsoever. However, there are some fears that are not irrational nor rational. There are some fears that are deadly. These are fears that absolutely must be overcome. And um, in the three narratives that Elena just read out for us, we have um, three instances where we come face to face with a type of fear that is deadly, that absolutely must be overcome with faith. And in each instance of, uh, in each of these stories, what helps us to overcome deadly fear with faith is beholding, seeing the lordship of Jesus. As we see that Jesus is Lord, we are able to choose faith instead of fear. Um, we're going to see the lordship of Jesus in three different areas through three different stories. So let's go straight into the first one as we click on a couple of slides. We'll see, there we are. Choose faith instead of fear because Jesus is Lord over chaos. And here we're looking at chapter 4, verse 35 to 51. In the fading light of day, as the sun casts its final golden rays across the tranquil waters of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus gathered his disciples near the shore. The day had been long filled with parable after parable, needy person after needy person, but finally the crowds had begun to disperse, leaving behind some weary disciples and a very weary Jesus. As evening descended, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, let us go over to the other side. Now at its widest point, the Sea of Galilee is just seven miles across. So these disciples can probably see the other side of the lake. So as experienced fishermen, this crossing by night holds no fear for them whatsoever. Yet, as they set out, the sky, once so serene and blue, transformed ominously. Dark clouds rolled in with threatening intensity, swallowing the fading light and casting a shadow over the horizon. Can you see it? A distant rumble echoed through the air, heralding the arrival of a tempest that would soon engulf them all. As the disciples rowed, the wind began to rise, a whisper at first, then a howling gale that tore through the air with relentless fury. The once placid waters um, churned with ferocious anger, waves rising like towering giants, then crests crashing against the sides of the boat with thunderous force. The disciples found themselves at the mercy of this terrible, relentless onslaught of wind and wave, at the mercy of the storm. Fear gripped their hearts as the boat pitched and rolled upon the tumultuous sea, threatening to capsize with each wave. Water surged over the sides, soaking their clothes and drenching their faces with salty spray. 
Desperation seized them as they fought against this storm. Their muscles were straining as they tried their hardest to hold on to control of this boat. Panic gnawed at their resolve. Terror crept into their minds. But amid the chaos was a very different scene. Jesus was a picture of peace, asleep in the stern of the boat, undisturbed by the storm that raged around him. His disciples, bewildered by his calm in the face of this disaster, shook him awake. And their voices trembling with fear, they said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Their words were a desperate plea for salvation in the middle of this terrible storm. Awakening from his slumber, Jesus rose to his feet and faced the raging seas and the tumultuous winds. With a voice that resonated with authority, he spoke, quiet, be still. In an instant, the wind ceased its howling, the waves stilled their tumultuous dance upon the water, and a profound silence descended upon the sea broken only by the gently lapping waves against the boat. With the storm quelled and the sea calmed, Jesus turned to his disciples and said this, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They had been afraid of the storm, but at this point, they are terrified. You see that in verse 41? They had been afraid of the storm, but at this point they are terrified. Seeing the divine authority of Jesus on full display was even more stunning than the storm itself. Filled with awe and wonder at their teacher, they whispered to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas, the waves, obey him? What does this story tell us about the lordship of Jesus? This miracle demonstrates Jesus' own divine authority. Through the Old Testament, the only one who can raise or calm a storm is God himself. But notice that in this miracle, at no point does Jesus pray. He doesn't stretch out his hand over the waters like Moses, waiting for God to calm the storm for him. The wind and the waves obey him. Jesus himself is Lord over the raging seas. So when those disciples ask that question, who then is this? We've got to fill in the blank. He must be God. Now we see Jesus demonstrating his divine authority over the storm. And we, we generalize that and say, okay, Jesus must be Lord over nature. That should be the title up on the screen. Jesus is Lord over nature. But that's not how uh, it works in the Bible. Actually, you don't look at a storm and generalize it to nature. Rather, in the Bible, the raging seas represented chaos. In Genesis 1, before God brought order to the universe, the world was described like this. Formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's a picture of watery chaos, but then the Word of God brings order 
parting, to the sea, parting the seas into their allotted place. And as in Genesis 1, so in Mark 4, the word of God has all authority over chaos and restores order. He has divine authority over nature, yes, because he is the one through whom it was created. He spoke creation into existence, and so all nature, all chaos, still listens to his voice. Jesus is Lord over chaos. I don't know what chaotic storm has descended upon your life, but I do know that all of us face those storms at some point. Sometimes it feels like we're being tossed about from crisis to crisis. Sometimes we're barely holding our heads above water. Sometimes we're being driven by forces that are totally out of our control. And I know that most of us feel like that every other day. There are other times where it's not one big storm in particular. Um, Rather, it's the combination of every little thing that adds up to the storm. Um, So you're trying to feed the kids. You don't know where you'll be living next year. You're trying not to get behind with work. You're trying to keep the marriage going. You've got 15 unread texts and countless unread emails. Yes, you still smile and show up, but behind your eyes, that storm is raging. What is the response of fear in the storm of chaos? The fearful response doesn't cope at all with not being in control. The fearful response says with the disciples, how can Jesus leave me on my own to deal with this? We don't believe he's going to get us to the other side, so we try to control the uncontrollable and end up in a terrible state of anxious worry. That's the fearful response in the chaotic storm. But what's the response of faith in the storm of chaos? The response of faith reminds ourselves that Jesus is Lord over the chaos. He is Lord over your job uncertainty. He is Lord over your family crisis. He is Lord over your messy home. He's Lord over where you're going to live next year. Nothing happens that is outside of his control. Um, One sister in um, my home group said on Thursday, uh, it's a saying that's just been going through my head for two days nonstop. Not all things are good, but all things work together for good. Not all things are good, but all things work together for good. Jesus is Lord over whatever chaotic storm is in your life right now. And we The response of faith trusts that Jesus is in the boat with us. Whatever chaotic storm you face, if you're a Christian, you are never facing it on your own. Our Lord is with us and he will not let us sink. He will see you safely to the other side if you are his. Jesus is Lord over the chaos. And... In chapter 5, verse 1 to 20, we'll click on, Jesus is Lord over evil. On the other side of the storm was another lesson in the lordship of Jesus. The battered boat landed in the region of the Gerasenes, a Gentile region which was gripped by terror. 
Jesus and his disciples walked up the beach and saw a tormented man approaching. For years, this man had roamed among the tombs, his flesh torn and tattered, his voice a shriek that howled through every night. The people of the town had tried in vain to subdue him. Even the iron chains around his wrists and feet were no match for the the destructive, powerful forces that writhed within him. And this possessed man, held captive by a legion of demons, felt compelled, for some reason, to rush towards Jesus. Now, this wasn't a man falling on his knees, desperately looking for deliverance. This was an army of demons falling down in desperation before the one they couldn't possibly dare to oppose. The Lord Jesus commanded them, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And the demons cried out in reply using that man's voice. What do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, in God's name, don't torture me. Again and again, they begged Jesus that he wouldn't send them out of the region. Now, to be honest, I don't know why they didn't want to be sent out of the region, um, But I really don't think we should be too keen to investigate the inner workings of such evil. But strangely, Jesus granted their request, allowing them to enter a nearby herd of 2,000 pigs. And with a frenzied rush, these possessed pigs charged down the steep bank they were on and plunged into the water uh, at the bottom of the cliff below where they were drowned. The pig farmers, witnessing this astonishing spectacle, fled in terror, spreading the news throughout the countryside and to the local town. Now, all the people from the countryside and that town, they came out to see what had happened for themselves. And notice a really strange reaction in verses 15 and 16. The people came to see Jesus and saw the man now fully clothed and fully restored in his right mind, and they were afraid. And then several people that were actually there for the deliverance told them how Jesus had freed this man with just one command, and they started pleading with Jesus that he would leave the region entirely. Get out and don't come back. How strange. And yet, tragically, Jesus often says yes when we make requests like that. By contrast, the man who had been oppressed by these demons begged Jesus to take him on the boat with him. But Jesus had a mission for him. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man dutifully obeyed. What does this narrative tell us about the lordship of Jesus? You might have noticed that the story is full of details that highlights the destructive power of evil. Um, So note the, the terrible damage that these spiritual forces did to the man. Note as well um, the, uh, the way that not even iron chains could, uh, could hold him. 
And of course, there's the weirdness with the pigs. What's going on with the pigs? Jesus had a reason behind that. He permitted the demons to enter the pigs to show us what happens to anyone who falls victim to Satan's schemes. This man and anyone else who plays around with evil, they are heading for inevitable destruction without fail, charging towards a dangerous cliff edge. So those forces of evil are powerful and destructive, but this only serves to highlight the divine authority of Jesus even more. These powerful forces are reduced to their knees, desperately begging when confronted by the far greater power of the Lord Jesus. Again, notice the fact that he doesn't pray. Um, it, It shows that he himself has divine authority over evil. He himself has the authority of God most high. And though the effects of evil are terribly destructive, the work of the Lord Jesus restores humanity completely. Whatever the effects of evil, the Lord Jesus is willing and able to heal humanity back to peace and wholeness. Jesus is Lord over evil. And again, I ask, what's the fearful response in this passage? Through Mark, the gospel writer, the Holy Spirit is asking us, will you fear Jesus and send him away? Will you fear Jesus and send him away? The people from town were terrified that the forces of evil obeyed Jesus' command. And this was probably because they realized they might have to obey Jesus' commands too. Remember, they were Gentiles. They're sort of people from the wrong side of the lake. Um, They reared pigs, animals that Jews wouldn't even touch. What evil in their hearts might Jesus challenge? What habits might he change? What if he ruined their entire way of life? We might be fearful of Jesus because he has authority over the evil in our hearts. You might have a pet sin that you keep coming back to. You might have a wrong relationship that you don't want to give up. You might have an attitude that you don't want challenged. So in fear of what he might say, you send Jesus away. Or at least you want to minimize his impact on your life by keeping him at arm's reach. How sad. He often says yes when we push him away like that. But what is the response of faith in this narrative? The Holy Spirit is asking us, as I said, will you fear Jesus and send him away? But also, or will you have faith in Jesus and do what he says? Unlike the townspeople, the restored man longed to be with Jesus. But when Jesus gave him a a mission, he gladly went and did what he was told. When confronted with the evil in our own hearts, our sin, our brokenness, faith walks towards Jesus anyway. Faith says, 
Let him challenge my behavior, my attitudes, my habits. Let him challenge all the evil in my life that he wants. My Lord is lovely. I want to be with him. And then faith goes when he commands us to. Will you fear Jesus and send him away? Or will you have faith in Jesus and do what he says? Now, the final lesson in the lordship of Jesus. Jesus is lord over death. In the bustling streets of Capernaum, where the sun beat down upon the weathered stones and weary souls sought solace from the day's heat, a man of great influence and wealth hurried through the crowd. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, his heart heavy with anguish, sought the one whom many whispered of as a healer, a miracle worker from Nazareth. His expression of anguish was just so obvious on his face as Jairus fell down at the feet of Jesus. His voice trembled with urgency and sorrow. My little daughter is at the point of death. His eyes filled with tears. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. With compassion in his eyes, Jesus looked upon Jairus. Without hesitation, he rose to follow him, his disciples trailing behind as they made their way through the, bussy, bu- uh, through the bustling, busy streets. But as they went on their way, a woman, afflicted with a flow of blood for 12 long years, also pressed through the crowd. Her heart was beating with fear and hope. She heard of Jesus and his power over disease. She believed that if only she could just touch the edge of his garment, she would be healed. And so with with trembling hands, she reached out and touched him. A touch like a silent prayer. And in that instant, she felt the power flow from Jesus. A warmth that kind of flooded her so that she instantly knew that she was well. Jesus sensed that power had gone out of him. And so he turned to the crowd and asked, who touched me? Now, the disciples thought that was just a ridiculous thing to ask. Everyone's touching you, Jesus. But the woman fell trembling at Jesus' feet. I'm the one. And she told him the truth. Jesus looked upon her, his voice filled with tenderness and grace. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. As Jesus spoke, messengers arrived with the news, the terrible news, that Jairus' daughter had died. They said to Jairus, Why bother the teacher any longer? But Jesus overheard that and spoke to Jairus these wonderfully comforting words. Don't be afraid, just believe. Arriving at the house, Jesus entered the chamber where the lifeless form of Jairus' daughter lay, pale, ghostly. With great gentleness, he He held the girl by the hand, and with great authority, he spoke the words, Little girl, I say to you, get up. 
And in that moment, as if awakened from a deep slumber, the girl opened her eyes. Her breath returns to her body, her pulse quickened with that spark of life. The room filled with astonishment and awe as Jairus and his wife embraced their daughter. Tears of joy, laughter, tears streaming down their face. What does this narrative teach us about the lordship of Jesus? The only um, raisings from the dead, I believe, in the Old Testament are uh, by Elijah and Elisha. Um, But they were definitely performed by God in response to their prayers. And again, we note the absence of Jesus praying here. It shows that Jesus himself has divine authority over death. Um, This is going to be even shown in an even greater way down the line when he himself rises in victory over the grave and brings uh, billions of followers out of the grave with him. Uh, new life in Christ. But wonderfully as well, as well as showing his great lordship over death, this narrative shows the gentleness of our Lord. I mean, he's just so tender. He's just so kind. Um, Speaking words of comfort to the woman who touched him. Um, The manner in which he healed this little 12-year-old girl his gentleness, his kindness. What a wonderful Lord we have. What is the response of fear when facing death and disease? The woman was afraid, wasn't she? She was afraid once Jesus had called her out, who touched me? Was she afraid that Jesus would be angry with her? Was she afraid that Jesus would have harsh words to say to her? What was the, uh, the, response, of, what was the fi- response of fear for Jairus? Strictly speaking, it was probably the response of fear from the messengers. They came with that message, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And it's, it's overhearing that that Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Maybe it's the fear that Jesus wouldn't be bothered. Maybe it's the fear that Jesus didn't want to be bothered with a case that was beyond his help. I wonder if we ever feel like that. I wonder if when we face death and disease or when others in our family face death and disease, we would be worried that Jesus wouldn't be bothered with us. Be assured that that is never the case. He came to this world, he lived and died exactly so that he might rid his creation of the problems of disease and death forever. So what is the response of faith when facing disease and death? It's coming to Jesus anyway. Despite our fear, despite what others might say, don't bother the teacher. Despite worrying, would he have anything to do with me? It's coming anyway. And giving Jesus the greatest problem that we could, any of us could possibly ever have. That problem of death. And actually when we have faith, we realize that we come to Jesus and we don't think, will he heal me or not? Will he raise me or not? Actually, 
He definitely will. It's just a matter of time. If you are one of his children struggling with disease, you will be healed. It just might be now or it might be later. But you absolutely will be. It might not be in this life, but it certainly will be in the next. And the same with death. Will he raise me? Of course he will. If we come in faith, trusting him, he absolutely will. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over chaos. He is Lord over evil. He is Lord over death. Don't respond with fear. Come to him in faith. Let's pray. Father God, we are astonished by the divine authority of Jesus. We praise you, Jesus, as Lord over chaos, evil, disease, and death. Father, please forgive us when we might have a small view of your Son. Please, by your Holy Spirit, increase our view of him. Give us a sight of his majesty and authority and grace and gentleness and tenderness as well. That dispels all of our fears and feeds our faith so that we might run to him and know life, restoration, and peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.